Welcome to Listener's Advisory, the San Diego Public Library podcast. Today, just in time for spring, we're hoping to get you in the garden. Also, the library master plan is here, and we want to know what the library can do for you. Finally, we'd like to tell you about what we're digging podcast-wise. So stick around for this first installment. It should be fun. Hi, folks. My name is Bob Surratt, and I'm your host for Listener's Advisory. I'm a librarian and the manager at the Balboa Branch. This podcast is co-hosted by Scott Eric Burgess. You may know him from the Library Shop or other San Diego Public Library Foundation-sponsored events. This podcast is intended to give listeners an audio access point to SDPL's upcoming events, specialized services, and other unique programming. In today's episode, Scott catches up with Library Director Misty Jones and San Diego Public Library Foundation CEO Patrick Stewart about the Library Master Plan. We'll also be joined by Supervising Librarian Jennifer Jenkins for a roundtable discussion about what podcast we're listening to right now. But first, let us introduce you to Destiny Rivera and her Seed Library program. In 2019, the Ocean Beach Library began a new and innovative program meant to engage with its patrons and encourage healthy and sustainable living. The Seed Library is a program in which patrons can borrow seeds for their gardens from the library. A seed library is basically an establishment that houses and stores seeds. It differs from a seed bank in that patrons and community members are able to come to the seed library and check out items. Um, typically with the intention of returning the seeds. Destiny Rivera is a library assistant three at the Ocean Beach Branch Library. The seed library was her brainchild, and she's been working on the project since its inception. The program is simple. Patrons are encouraged to take a seed, grow a seed, return a seed. With the Ocean Beach Seed Library, patrons can check out up to six varieties. Um, So we'll we'll mail just a sample or like enough seeds for one individual garden. So we'll have up to six varieties in that envelope and it'll be just labeled and addressed right, right to you, right to the patron's door. The Seed Library is not just a fun, family project that'll keep you moving, learning, and growing. It also serves a wider, more holistic purpose. It's estimated that 94% of vegetable seed varieties in the 20th century have been lost. So the act of preserving and storing and sharing and exchanging these vegetable seeds, it's kind of a revolutionary act in order to counter this, um, this loss, this massive loss of genetic biodiversity. The program's core values reflect a deeper purpose that's meant to benefit patrons and the environment alike. With these ideas at the center of the Seed Library's philosophy, users can partake in an act of self-preservation that's not just personal, but broader in scope and feel. A Seed Library preserves agricultural biodiversity by focusing on rare local and heirloom seed varieties. By stocking our Seed Library with non-GMO, organic, open-pollinated, and heirloom seeds, we reflect community values and promote health and wellness. Last year, when COVID-19 hit, I found myself at home pondering an uncertain future and looking for something that would take my mind off the outside world. 
As I stared at my dried-out box garden and its withered remnants of past not-so-earnest gardening attempts, I thought it was time to take another shot. I heard from a colleague at the Scripps Miramar Ranch Library that they had begun a by-mail seed library program based on Ocean Beach's successful pilot. I simply sent an email, and about a week later, I received an envelope with some kale, spinach, and a small assortment of other seeds. We noticed with this pandemic, there was like a massive seed shortage that happened um, right right when we went into lockdown. Um, so people reached out to the seed library more than ever as a source for, for these seeds to get their home gardens going. In fact, demand for seed library resources skyrocketed in the months since the beginning of the pandemic. We've had maybe about four or 500 requests since since March, which um, we've been kind of fulfilling those. It's kind of tapered off a little bit, but the Seed Library has been able to serve the community by the Seed Library by Mail program. We've also cultivated a bit of an online community through the Ocean Beach Seed Library Facebook page. So we have some a lot of discussions that happen back and forth and we're able to announce upcoming events. It's kind of a place where people can post their gardening pictures and get to know other community members if, if they so choose. While gardening can seem like a solitary effort, it can be tricky at times. Having a network to turn to for questions and advice can be vital. Primarily, we're, we're serving the community by doing the Seed Library by Mail program, uh, virtual programs. We're also available for um, reference questions. If anyone wants to reach out to our staff directly, we can help find them the information that they're looking for, as well as potentially pair them with the right organization or group that can you know, further, further help them. Nice, nice. That's great. That's actually one of the things that, you know, despite being a reference librarian, I wouldn't think to call a reference desk to say, hey, what do you think I should do in my garden? Right. You know? Yeah. And although if if we don't know, we definitely can help link you with those resources. So a common one that I typically go to is the San Diego Master Gardener Association. They have a hotline that you can call if you have like an urgent gardening question. It's a volunteer run, so they're really friendly and approachable and really ready to help. Whether you're a seasoned gardener or just getting your hands dirty for the first time, be sure to reach out to the Ocean Beach or Scripps Miramar Branch Libraries and request some seeds. And when regular library services resume, consider returning a seed harvested from your garden. Visit us at www.sandiego.gov forward slash SDPL seed libraries or check our show notes for further information. What do library services look like? moving forward? What does the community want to see? The master plan, the community survey is up. We need your input. Take the survey. Let us know. How do we be the library system that you would like for San Diego? Ah, the library master plan. I love libraries. Master plans really just causes me anxiety. I don't even know what I'm having for dinner tonight, but I guess it's a thing, master plans. I don't know what the world's first master plan was, but I'm pretty sure the first written mention of the impact of a master plan comes in the Epic of Gilgamesh. Go up onto the wall of Uruk and walk around, inspect the foundation platform and scrutinize the brickwork. 
testify that its bricks are baked bricks and that the seven counselors must have laid its foundations. Anywho, I thought I would talk to two of the modern-day equivalents of these seven counselors from Gilgamesh to get to the bottom of what is a library master plan, why do we need one, and why does it matter? Misty Jones, I am the city librarian or director of San Diego Public Library. Full disclosure, she's Bob's boss. I am Patrick Stewart. I am the CEO of the San Diego Public Library Foundation. And he's my boss. So there's a lot of pressure on us to make this segment really good. First, I would like to know who the other is. Patrick and I are two of the counselors. Who are the other five? (laughs) Yeah, that's an important question. (laughs) That's important. The library did a master plan effort in 1998 in response to a bond issuance. It was very quickly done. I would say a little bit of a cookie cutter. There was no variation. It was only about building, did not include every community and every neighborhood left a lot of them out that we now know have had significant population jumps. So this master plan is not just an update. It really is kind of a completely, I feel like a completely new plan. I think I'd heard that the current master plan doesn't even have really any reference to internet or computers, right? No, I think it has typewriters. I think it references typewriters. Maybe some of my master plan anxiety is that I've been hurt before. I feel like we've been promised flying cars for 20 years. So how do we make sure this library master plan doesn't end up in a file cabinet somewhere? This plan is something that really takes into account, I think, as Misty was saying, not only community growth, but also a much more in-depth understanding of how libraries are used, their community centers, their education centers, their cultural centers, their economic development centers. They are so much more than what our our recollection of libraries are, particularly if you get to a certain age. And yes, you're right. I think plans in the past have tried to predict the future based on inaccurate data, based on incomplete data, and based on an unrealistic expectation of the way future growth is going to look. Pardon the pun in a master plan, but to be well-planned, you'd end up with a plan that does not sit on someone's desk. And it is actually a leading document in how you are developing community and developing growth. And the way this library master plan hopes to become a leading document is to make a serious effort to figure out what we all want through a community survey. This survey is vitally important to the development of the master plan. It is available now through April 17th. And our goal during this phase is that everyone and anyone who wishes to contribute their thoughts through the survey should be able to do so. The survey is thorough. It includes questions about library use, what really works for your library experience, where barriers may exist, community insight and technology. It also only takes 10 minutes to complete. Even I filled it out. My relationship with surveys is probably more dysfunctional than my relationship with master plans. But this one asks important questions, and there's a sincere effort behind it to collect the input of the entire community. You know, I think this 
planning process is also going a few steps further than other planning processes that I've seen in that we're employing a pretty significant communications and outreach effort that's targeted specifically to some of these communities that Misty was talking about to ensure that we're getting as much community input and community buy-in as we possibly can. For me, I don't just want people who come to the library. I want the people who don't come to the library. I think their voices are as valuable as, you know, maybe even more so than our patrons because they're the ones who aren't using our services. Why aren't you using our services? And what do we need to do to get you into the library? I guess in the end, maybe that brings us back to the Epic of Gilgamesh. Maybe I'm just mentioning this because I, I want to give the illusion that there's some sort of closure to this segment. But I think one of the lessons that Gilgamesh learned is applicable here. And no, not the death is inevitable. It's what he learned from his wild man pal in Kidu. Gilgamesh learned to listen to the people. And so I think this is a great example where we, the people, are being listened to. So it is our responsibility if we want to enact change in the library system. The San Diego Public Library can be anything we want it to be, but we have to let them know what that is. So please fill out the survey. Oh, and one more question from Misty. I'm curious if the library master plan was just up to you what would the San Diego Public Library be in, say, 20 years? And does it involve librarians with jetpacks? <laughs> oh, librarians with jetpacks. Can we have that now? It's hard to say because you don't know what the community is going to need. And that's, that's, the, that's the thing I love about working in libraries is we keep redefining ourselves to fit that community need. And that's what I would want the library to continue to do and to have the resources to be able to do that whatever the community needs should be at any point in time in the future that we have the resources to be able to transition and meet that need, whether it be workforce development, whether it be literacy, whether it be fuel for jetpacks for librarians, you know, <laughs> that's what it should be. Please visit supportmylibrary.org slash master plan. This is a great opportunity for you to provide input and feedback to the kind of library that you're looking for in the future. Hi folks, Bob here. Welcome to our listeners advisory segment. I'm here with my co-host, Scott Eric Burgess. Scott, what's up? Bob, good to see you, even though Likewise. we're just hearing each other, right? Also here with us is Jennifer Jenkins, Supervising Librarian at the Central Library. Jennifer, how are you? Fantastic. It's a beautiful day at the Central Library. Yes, indeed. I'm going to go ahead and set things off. I brought two podcasts that I want to discuss with you guys. The first one is No Stupid Questions with Stephen Dubner and Angela Duckworth. Stephen Dubner, uh, if you don't know, is the main writer behind Freakonomics. Angela Duckworth is a research psychologist at Penn and author of the book, Grit. The podcast is an interview show, but it's not really one of those meandering interview shows that kind of unravel themselves over a couple of hours. Rather, they seem to be not quite scripted, but uh, the, the conversations definitely have some direction behind them. Both the hosts come with source material, which for me kind of builds scaffolding 
for the conversation. Um, I know that Jennifer was saying that she really likes these kind of, you know, um, natural conversations. I like them to get a little bit more to the point personally, but I think my favorite part about this podcast is that it comes with uh, a fact check at the end. So definitely pulls out my librarian heartstrings. Next up is a podcast called What Had Happened Was uh, with a guy named Open Mike Eagle and super producer extraordinaire Prince Paul. Um, Open Mike Eagle is an MC and podcaster. He's released material with the Mellow Music Group. He has a couple other podcasts, one of them being Secret Skin. Prince Paul is the man behind the seminal De La Soul album, Three Feet High and Rising. Um, came out in 1989, so right ah, up Scott's yes, alley. Yes, I know about everything from 1990 <laughs> before and nothing after, so that's right in my wheelhouse. <laughs> he also did records like Handsome Boy Modeling School, a um, bunch of other stuff. Came out last year. It was really uh, one of those things that helped me get through 2020. The show is essentially a deep dive into Prince Paul's catalog. So each episode, they they spend time with one particular record. So the first one was the Grave Diggers album. They also did episodes on the three De La Soul records. He produced the Chris Rock comedy albums, and they went into those recording experiences. It's really a show for super ultra nerdy hip hop heads, me being one of those people. Like a legit behind the music where it doesn't focus on the gossip of the band, but the actual recording process. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Cool. Exactly. Yeah. So they're talking about like what happened in the studio. They're talking about people that came through and recorded. They're talking about, you know, label drama and kind of all the stuff that goes behind decisions. You know, why did De La Soul have all that wacky, you know, flower aesthetic going on and what yeah. did they really feel about it at the time so all that kind of real real deep stuff gets gets discussed in the podcast jennifer what about you what are you listening to these days okay so i've got a couple of podcasts to recommend today um i just want to preface this by saying that i am a lady of a certain age and a mom <laughs> and a librarian and so while you may think that my recommendations are only for middle-aged librarian moms um, I'm going to bring some things to you today that I think are relatable and interesting to a wide variety of people. So the way if, if you're a librarian mom, if you're a librarian <laughs> mom or a human person, got it. Okay. I just have to say that uh, even though I'm like a boring mom, I have really good taste in a lot of things, <laughs> and I feel confident in my podcast recommendations. Very confident. But I think that I, I wouldn't feel as confident if I wasn't a librarian because I, I put in the work. Like, I don't just randomly start listening to a podcast. I need to like the speaker. I need to like the voice of the speaker. I need there to be substance. I'm not so much into scripted podcasts. I really want to feel like have that voyeuristic experience where you're like in the room listening to people have a conversation and they're being fully authentic and vulnerable and real. So that's kind of where my head is at when I am getting into a new podcast. But the way that I go about it typically is that I like to go steady with one or two podcasts. And those podcasts are my go-tos. And I am going to listen to the first episode, the first day that it drops. And I'm going to start every conversation with anyone that will listen that week with what I heard on the podcast. And it's very annoying if you are a podcast listener uh, and you have friends who are not, they really get tired of that segue. So you have to be really creative in how you're going to introduce podcasts. But so sometimes I feel like a podcast evangelist. Um, 
But the you're reason- in a you're in a safe space here. So yeah, worry. podcast evangelist. Yeah. So um, the two go tos that I have, I'm going steady right now with Brene Brown. Do you guys know who Brene Brown is? Yes, yes. Right. I uh, just heard her on a recent podcast with Adam Grant. Fantastic. She is probably my spiritual guru right now. Um, this podcast, the first one I'm going to talk about is Unlocking Us, and it dropped March 19th. Uh, the first episode, and we all know that March 13th is when uh, everything went crazy. So um, this podcast is kind of like a little bit of hope and humor and light in the middle of some real dark times the past several months. And so it was perfect timing to drop this podcast because the purpose of the podcast is to um, help people figure out how to unlock themselves, but each other, and to take the 20 years of research that Brene Brown has done as a shame researcher at the University of Houston and turn that research into practical tips and information for improving your personal relationships, both with family and friends, as well as your coworkers. Because we spend so much time at work with our coworkers, but we don't necessarily put the same amount of effort into cultivating those relationships as we do with our friends and families. And in order to create a more vibrant and trusting and dynamic work culture, um, she gives you real tips and practical information for um, you know leading from any position and interacting with other people. Another big topic that uh, she's talked about is a lot of the equity, diversity, and inclusion. Unlocking Us is really a series of conversations that Brene Brown, using her expertise, has with a variety of educators, thought leaders, authors, actors. It's a real mix of different kinds of people. She's had everybody from Barack Obama to Joe Biden to Dolly Parton. Um, okay, we, we need to know who's booking these guests. Bob, can we get these people on our show, do you think? Listen, she's magic. Any If Brene Brown ever calls you up and wants to talk to you on her podcast, just just say yes. Because she will like, she's like, it's very comforting. Um and then I always feel like I learned something and I learned to better myself and I learned to understand other people. So that's why I would recommend both Unlocking Us with Brene Brown and Dare to Lead with Brene Brown, which are both available for free on Spotify. Can I ask you a quick question? You being a, a person in a leadership role here at the Central Library, has there been anything specific from uh, her podcast that you've been able to apply to your role and what you do on a daily basis? Oh, absolutely. I would say, well, she's, she studies research and shame and the flip side, like the antidotes to those things are, are it's empathy. So basically like the big secret to everything that each episode centers on is that empathy and developing um, empathy is really how we can change the world and like, how you can actually work your empathy muscle and try to relate and understand other people better and understand where they are coming from. So I I don't necessarily practice like a real top-down authoritative leadership style. I'm more of a Brene Brown touchy-feely, let's talk about your feelings and work out your solutions sort of a person. And I feel like people are receptive to that because I try to acknowledge that you're a person and the human first uh, before uh, before you are an employee of the library. And I feel like that has benefited me in terms of creating um, a positive and supportive culture at work. And I'm always trying to work on that. Nice. 
Scott, what are you listening to these days? Uh, well, Bob, we've we've talked about the meaning and purpose of podcasts before, and I think your your music recommendation that is kind of similar to what I've got here, and that is the value of a podcast to be able to dig deep into something that other formats like a TV show or even a radio interview is just not going to be able to get to that depth. So uh, what I've been listening to is the Plot Thickens Turner Classic Movies podcast. So I'll give you a little personal background about my uh, nerdiness as a film buff. So after college, I moved to a little mountain town, Estes Park, Colorado, 8,000 residents. And I moved in with my grandfather uh, to take care of him in his final years. This was the late 90s. So no internet, but lots of cable TV. So my grandfather and I loved watching old movies. And in college, I was the stereotypical video rental clerk. So old movies was like the only area of conversation that I actually had enough knowledge to keep up with grandpa. Uh, so that was sort of where we bonded. I also swore by this huge book, uh, which I have with me here still, you can't see it on the podcast. It's called The Movie Hound. Oh, it's yeah. basically like uh, just a basic video movie guide, but it's the size of a phone book. It's a big book. So oh, yeah. it, it is a deep dive. So what I used to do when I was a kid, when I was a, uh, a young adult, is I would highlight all the classics I needed to watch in this, in this phone book of movies. And Grandpa and I would set out every month, uh, turn a movie printed this uh, pamphlet that you could subscribe to that was basically the TV guide of just what was on Turner Classic Movies. This is all before Google, the internet, so this was the only way to know what was going to be on that month. So I would subscribe to that and I'd plot out with the VCR to set to record the movies I wanted to see. And then Grandpa and I would watch them. So I uh, really got into Robert Osborne because of that. I knew nothing about him before, but he was the host of Turner Classic Movies back in the day. So he would always do a short little intro and outro at each movie. And it was, you know, gossip and details of the film, and I loved it. And so when this podcast came, came along, uh, just released early in the pandemic, it's basically a recreation of those golden days uh, with me and Grandpa watching Robert Osborne. And it's hosted by Ben Mankiewicz, who is the new Robert Osborne on T TCM. And it's called The Plot Thickens. And the first season is devoted purely to Peter Bogdanovich, the filmmaker. So he did uh, The Last Picture Show, which is one of the great movies of the 1970s, uh, which, as we all know, the 1970s was the greatest decade of American film, not even op open for debate. Uh, so he also did uh, the film Paper Moon, which was the first movie my wife and I watched in our first date, uh, still together. So Paper Moon has a special place in my heart. But Peter Bogdanovich, really interesting life as a filmmaker. He was also a film historian, so he interviewed a lot of famous directors and those are on record. Some of the special episodes of the podcast are just his interviews with Orson Welles, Howard Hawks, Alfred Hitchcock. So that is really interesting. Uh, but anyway, uh, seven episodes, 30 minutes each. Again, there's bonus episodes. So plot thickens, highly recommended. That's going to do it for this first installment of Listener's Advisory. We'd like to thank our guests, Destiny Rivera, Misty Jones, Patrick Stewart, and Jennifer Jenkins. 
Extra special thanks to Jennifer Lim and Rachel Murray for help with our artwork, as well as Pete Meisner and Luke Henshaw for contributing original music. If you'd like to know more about any of the programs or recommendations mentioned in this episode, be sure to check our show notes or visit us at www.sandiegolibrary.org.